can, there's an easy kind of uh, law out there, which is every time that your head count doubles, everything has to be redone. So when you go from five employees to 10 employees, everything has to be redone. When you go from 10 to 20, redone, right? 20 to 40, right? Everything has to be redone. So that's- you're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fans. Prepare to turn the f- up. Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation. Service Titan is actually a client of yours, which is super exciting. And you guys do some amazing stuff for us. So I'm super excited to dig in to this topic about tech stack with you. I want to get started. on How did you get into marketing? Like, what's your background? So I kind of fell into marketing overall. I mean, I I was a computer nerd from the time I was four. So like I got into tech just because I wanted to play video games on a computer. And back in like 1988, you had to use MS-DOS to be able to use a computer. So I learned how to like, I wouldn't say write code, but like I learned how to use DOS to be able to get access to the games. And that got me really, really into tech. And then I tried to start a company when I was like 10 years old. I was going to do some marketing for this boy band. I was 10. I didn't know what the hell was going on. But either way, they sent me like this promo pack and like promote this artist and you can get paid. And I was 10 and I was ready to hustle. So that was like my first <laughs> introduction to what is marketing. Um, and I just wanted to make some money. So, but yeah, I tried to be kind of do some street promo for some boy band, which I don't even think uh, was successful at all. So that's just kind of how I fell into it would be the easiest way to say it, which I'm not sure if I'm proud about it, but it's kind of how I got started. That's interesting. How did you get into marketing technology? Because that's always an interesting thing because they don't teach this in school at all. So it's like an interesting path for marketers to go down. I've always been in marketing technology. So, I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. I got my start really in MarTech in 1998, not really knowing that I was doing MarTech, but like in 1998, uh, just before that, I had started uh, an online booking agency. So basically we were helping DJs and producers get bookings. So if anybody knows anything about like the dance world from back then, uh, my artists were people like Darude and Kiyoki and stuff like that. So some pretty big artists. However, we had to get them promoted on the internet. I mean, there was no marketing technology. You had to like manually do everything. So I remember doing mass emailing and spamming people basically via AOL and having to be whitelisted by AOL to be able to send mass emails. Because at that time, there really wasn't like a system to do mass emailing in the way that you would want to do it. So I remember back in 98, I mean, building our own websites, I mean, GeoCities, all that stuff. So Really, before MarTech ever got started, I was trying to digital market and I was trying to do all these different things. And that's kind of how I got my start in MarTech in general was just trying to hack it together when there was nothing there. And of course, like Urchant was around and UTMs and then Google Analytics and all that stuff. So I've always just kind of been in it. But it really did start from I'm an entrepreneur by heart. I started a company called Shattered Records Management. And we just brute force tried to figure out how to get these artists bookings and was very successful. And I have to admit, I was I was 13 when I started that company. I sold it when I was 19, which was super, super awesome. But you know, I just kind of fell into it. And I've always kind of been into the internet. 
so that's kind of how I got into it. But I mean, like the real time that I would have to say when I when I was uh, joining the team at Kissmetrics, when I uh, was recruited in to take Neil Patel's place at Kissmetrics, that would have to be like when I really joined the industry, just because Kissmetrics being a marketing analytics product, uh, that would be when like I officially joined the industry, I would have to say, and kind of change size from just from a user and administrator to somebody who actually like worked in the biz. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's, that's awesome. Like, I think like it happened. Like for me, I just fell into it as well. Like I got a marketing consulting job for automation and just grew from there. It's just an interesting career path to go down. Like what are some things that people should think about when starting to build their tech stack? Like what are some key things that you tell your clients or people when they, they're thinking about building out their tech stack from the ground up? Yeah, no, and really, really good question. And, you know, I think every business, of course, is very, very different in this response. So, I mean, it really does come down to the stage at what you're at in business, because naturally, like Service Titan, right, you guys are valued at like $8 billion now, like the stack that you guys would do and the, the advice that we would give to a company like you is wildly different than somebody who's maybe doing $80,000 a year in sales. The biggest thing that we always try to help companies that are really, really kind of new to this or just getting started is really first focus on your automation, right? Try to understand how are you going to leverage these tools to reduce your labor? How are you going to leverage these tools to increase through automation your revenue, right? So really try to figure out that automation. And usually in most companies, that comes down to what is my marketing automation tool? What is my email marketing tool? How are these going to automate the communications that I have and things like that? So for kind of more entry-level companies, it's about figuring out how am I going to automate these things? How am I going to make my business run without me having to do manual labor? But the next stage you have to figure out of that, of course, is like, if you're a B2B company, naturally you need a CRM. So whether that be Salesforce, HubSpot, uh, I don't care, Sugar CRM, choose what is going to be easiest for your team to get going. And this is a common dilemma that a lot of companies have is, well, do I go with Salesforce or do I go with HubSpot uh, CRM? And it's like, well, what what's your sales team going to use, right? Like that's what really matters there. So you have to then, once you start getting past that automation stage, like how am I going to automate my business? You do need to really focus on is my team going to be able to use these tools? Because the last thing you want to do is give, right? You, you don't want to give a 16-year-old kid who just got their driver's license the keys to your Ferrari, right? Like they're going to crash mm-hmm. the thing. They're going to ruin it. And at the same time, you don't want to go to the McLaren racing team and say, hey, listen, we just got you this Toyota Camry, right? They're just It's just going to be a mix match. So automate the business as much as you possibly can, but then start to choose the tools on what can actually be used or adopted. It's always a bummer when you go work with a company and they've they've got Salesforce, but like they just hire only the right out of college SDRs. Uh, and those people have no idea what's going on. The system's all jacked up and nobody knows what's going on. So those would be kind of like the two things that I would really start with. And then as you start to evolve, right, you start to get like uh, some experience, the biggest thing where when talking to companies like Service Titan, but many others, right, that I would say that are larger, the biggest issue that we see happen, and this is something marketing operations gets involved with the most, is taxonomy. How does all of these different tools that I have, this architecture, this revenue infrastructure that I have, how does that all talk to each other? And what is the taxonomy that they use, in essence, to communicate? Because one system has F name, another system has first name. Uh, that taxonomy is kind of where you're going to blossom into. And there's no point in getting crazy focus on taxonomy when you're doing $50,000 a year in revenue and you're just building out an automation tool. It's not that important. 
at that stage. But as you grow and you become a million dollar business, uh, annual revenues, in essence, you really have to start figuring out how am I going to have a taxonomy for my stack so all of these different tools can communicate together and integrate easily. So those would be kind of the three things that I would focus on for somebody who's like, hey, I've got to pick tools. Those would be the things I would start with. On that question on that taxonomy thing, like when should people start thinking about that? Because I feel like a lot of companies do it way too late and they're trying to scale. So they have to do redo the whole foundation. And that takes a lot of time that people don't get. Like, And there's a lot of technical debt from that. Yeah, tons. You know, there's no perfect system to this. But the one thing that you can, there's an easy kind of uh, law out there, which is every time that your headcount doubles, everything has to be redone. So when you go from five employees to 10 employees, everything has to be redone. When you go from 10 to 20, redone, right? 20 to 40, right? Everything has to be redone. So that's back to the Marketing Millennials podcast. Today's guest, Dan McGaw, an award-winning entrepreneur and speaker. He is also the co-founder of Maga.io, a marketing technology and marketing analytics agency. He is coined as one of the original growth hackers, and he has led teams at Kissmetrics.com and CodeSchool.com. I'm excited to dive into marketing tech stack and marketing operations with him. Hope you enjoy. Redone. So that's definitely uh, the use case that's going to happen, right? And I would usually say when you start getting to about 15 employees is really the time you have to start focusing a lot more on that taxonomy and getting really, really serious about it. Because now what you have is you start creating departments that are dependent upon each other and each other's data. Now, don't get me wrong. Like we started our company and we were very lucky six years ago. We started with 12 full-time employees. One of the first things we did was build out a great taxonomy for our stack. I mean, we're only 15 people now, really, when it comes down to our FTEs, and we have an amazing taxonomy in our company. But like that's our business. That's our backbone of our company is uh, doing this stuff. So, but but say for most companies, right? If you can start with a good foundation early, the earlier you are, the better. But in most companies, it just really doesn't pay off until you're hitting that 10 or 15 employees under the headcount, right? But at the same time, that's different for every business because if you've got one marketer, no sales and everybody's ops, I mean, it isn't really going to matter. But if you went to our website, simple, it's maga.io, my last name with a .io. On the bottom of the website, there's a download and resources section. There's, If you go to that page, there's a taxonomy webinar, which is really, really good. There's two or three of them in there. One which talks about personalization and taxonomy. That will really help you put like rubber to the road. Why is taxonomy important? How does taxonomy connect me to personalization? And when people are a small company, that's what I try to get them to focus on is what is the outcome or objective that we're trying to drive to? And really that should be what drives the business. But to talk about like bigger companies, right? When you start getting to 30, 40, 50 person headcounts and you're running a sophisticated marketing and sales operation, or if there's marketing and sales, that's really when you want to get heavy on taxonomy. When when marketing and sales are dependent on each other, you've got to get your taxonomy in order because those two departments have to communicate digitally, not only just like through Slack, but I mean like Salesforce has to talk to Pardot or Marketo or whatever else in a good way. And then you also need to report on that crap, right? So I would say there's there's a shit ton of gray in there, but like taxonomy, if you can do it right the first time, it's great. But I mean, hell, how many people actually know how to write a taxonomy? Yeah, that, that is so true. It's like, that's why this stuff gets so complicated with tech stacks and stuff like that. And that's why you exist, right? Because a lot of companies have this issue of like poor data quality, things not syncing into systems correctly, all that crazy stuff. I want to go into this, 
question because I get this a lot, but like, how do you think about attribution mm. with marketing technology? Like, what is like your method of attribution? Like, how do you think about it? Like, what tools have you used that are successful in the past? Like, I'm just interested in that. Yeah, no. And, you know, multi-touch attribution and marketing attribution in general are definitely like a a hotspot for me. I, I actually did a large study about two years ago in regards to almost all the multi-touch attribution providers out there and what would be best for a really, really large financial services company. So I definitely understand the space and the model and all that stuff. It can be definitely dense. You know, for most company, just knowing first touch and last touch attribution is like rocket science, right? And it sucks, especially B2B companies. It can be really hard because they're trying to like save values into their Marketo instance and have those values synced over to Salesforce and then report off of those values at a later time. And really, while you can do that, it does make it really, really difficult. The best way to get any type of marketing attribution is really to lean on your analytics product or a best of breed product. So like in a B2B space, if you can get your Salesforce stages or HubSpot stages or close deal one, ultimately push back to your uh, analytics products, whether using Amplitude, Mixpanel, definitely not Google Analytics. Google Analytics won't give you the data you need. It's best to try to get that stuff into a tool which will do visualization because Salesforce is just not that great at doing the visualization. Now, if you are having a product like Visible, right, stacked on top of uh, Salesforce, it becomes a lot easier. Visible will give you multi-touch attribution, but that still comes down to having the right campaign tracking codes, right? Having proper UTMs tagged on everything. One of my companies, uh, UTM.io, which helps big organizations get their UTM game in check, uh, is actually featured in Visible's documentation. Like Visible is dependent upon UTMs. They tell their customers, go use UTM.io because it's going to help you like get better at UTMs. And that's, it's usually the fundamental problem that people suck at is like, They don't have good campaign tracking. They don't have good UTM taxonomy. They don't have their campaigns even tracked. Like, um, so that becomes like a fundamental issue you have to solve. But going back to like, if you're a really sophisticated company and you've got a, a good data analyst and you've got kind of a data team that can help you out, we always recommend trying to leverage a product like Segment, which will track all of your customer actions on your website, and then pumping that data into a data warehouse, then putting on whether it be Tableau or Looker or Holistics and building out a custom attribution model from there. Because you can track all the web activity using Segment. And then with Salesforce, you can, of course, dump all that data down into your warehouse as well. And then you can make whatever model you want. But don't get me wrong, you've got to be a little rich to be able to do that. So for a lot of companies on the flip side of that, that just aren't that rich, right? Maybe they can't afford Visible because Visible does get pricey. There are some out-of-the-box tools which can be more cost-effective and can help you, but it does come down to whether you're B2B or B2C. So in the B2B space, of course, I already mentioned Visible, which is really, really popular. There's another product out there called Attribution App. Pretty good product. They have a different attribution model than Visible does. Not going to dig into the details. If you Google uh, multi-touch attribution with the word MAGA after it, you can read some of our blog posts and see some of the stuff we created that will get you farther in the weeds. Attribution app and Visible probably some of the most common for B2B. You have tools like C3 Metrics and Lead, uh, excuse me, uh, Leads RX, which are also able to do the B2B stuff. And then on the flip side for B2C, you've got companies like Windsor.ai, which is W-I-N-D-S-O-R.ai. Google Analytics has its own multi-touch attribution product, which is inside its tool, but doesn't really give you ROAS numbers. And then, of course, there's other products out there like Wicked Reports and uh, Supermetrics and Funnel.io enable you to pull some data around. So there's definitely a lot of different tools out there. 
I think the problem is, is that most people, I was just on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and um, they called it like God mode in essence, when you have marketing attribution and multi-touch attribution. And really it's not right. Like marketing attribution is going to tell you what's working and what's not working. Right. And the problem is, is with multi-touch attribution, it becomes just that much more complicated because you're now doing all the stuff. So are you going to use a linear model? You're going to use time decay. You're going to use uh, time-based, like there's all these things. People always think that the model is going to give you the answer. And it's totally crap. The model is just going to tell you this is working. That's not working. We don't know why. It's still on the marketer who's spending money on paid media to go do something about it. And really, when you think about multi-touch attribution, the key point of multi-touch attribution is to optimize your ad spend for the previous period that you were in, right? You have to learn from that data and optimize your ad spend. On the flip side, first touch and last touch, right? That helps the demand gen team understand what's working, what's not working. Last touch attribution helps your product team understand which campaigns are driving different things in. So there's a lot of different ways that you have to use marketing attribution or multi-touch attribution, which are not the same thing. And it just makes it a lot more complicated. And that's the problem is once you're given an answer, if you don't know what to do with that answer, it doesn't matter. So I see companies spend six figures on these big MTA models and then they look at it and go, what now? And we're like, well, you didn't hire us to do that, right? So you got to pay us now to do that part if you can't figure <laughs> that out. So like, that's the problem that we see with most companies is they pay for the magic sauce, but then they never have the chef who's going to put the magic sauce on, whether it's going to be whatever they're going to do with it. They just don't have that knowledge. Yeah, and I also think with marking out attribution, it's kind of hard because it can give you false reads sometimes, like paid advertising, we're pushing a lot of spend and it's bringing in branded keywords. Like, And we think that paid media is not doing well, but it's actually bringing in all these, these paid keywords and people think that we should invest more in like search engine marketing instead of paid media and it just gives you sometimes false reads so it's like you said like it's the person who's reading the data and looking at it it's not always the model so that's a great point like what are some of the like biggest problems you see with people and their tech stacks today yeah that's a lot of fun one and naturally we we're lucky so we get to see a lot of stacks i mean i wrote the book build cool shit about how to build a stack so but um the biggest things that we see, one is, one, there's a taxonomy issue. And nine times out of 10, the taxonomy is just wrong for something. They're, they're not using whatever integration they have, the way that they have the taxonomy set up just doesn't work with the tools. And that's, that's where these get really, really complicated is because every tool you have has a different way that their API is going to accept information. That taxonomy is going to be weird. Like we just spent three weeks. It's funny. We, we're working on a project right now that um, they have segment set up and then they have iterable set up and iterables documentation about segment is not very good. The segments documentation about iterable is not very good. So we're like talking like the, the lead customer success people and they're like, well, you got to do this. You got it. We're like, we did that, but this is, <laughs> this is the API call. It's not working. And they're like, well, and we didn't get a response to us playing around with it enough to find out that, oh, the way that we were passing this and the way the documentation is written is it doesn't clearly state that you can't pass an array. You have to pass, uh, or even a string, you have to pass an integer, right? So the quotations get moved off the API call. So like those little stupid things, that's where the taxonomy and syntax really comes into play. And that's where usually most of the problems lie is that there's something wrong with the taxonomy or how that's being done. And on the flip side of that, right, taxonomy is all about how the tools are going to integrate together. What is the naming convention? What are you going to do? But once again, that taxonomy is all dependent upon how tools are integrated. So 
a lot of problems that we see companies doing is, was this going to be a client-side API caller? Was this a server-side API caller? Was this an update through a platform, which we would call a platform-side uh, integration? Like, There's just a lot of woes in regards to integrations. And uh, one of the biggest things that we tell people is that if you want to build a really, really good stack, you should choose your marketing technologies based upon their ability to integrate nicely with the rest of your ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, your business is the platform. These tools are plugging into your business, which means you need all these tools to work together. So if you mess up the taxonomy or if you mess up the integration by buying tools that don't integrate with anything, you really are going to hold yourself back. And we've removed a lot of tools from a lot of stacks just because they're a silo of data and they don't work well with others. And some people are really going to fall short in the next few years because of that. I mean, Marketo, as an example, they kind of they, they have integrations with everything, but their integrations with the modern stack kind of suck. And that's the same case with a lot of the other tools as well as their integration ability is just not very good. And you're going to see some people really kind of take the dog food here over the next few years away from some of those companies because they're not good at integrating. The taxonomy is really difficult, but we'll see. I mean, Marketo is big enough now with the back end of Adobe. Marketo will acquire whoever tries to, to take their dog food. So, but integration and taxonomy are the number one problems we see for sure. You brought up a good point about the integrations. Like what what should people look at when they're buying a new software, like for their stack? And when is it a good time to think about buying a new software? Yeah. Well, you know, I would always say when is the right time to buy a new software? Whenever your current software does not help you meet your objectives, right? And your key results. So look at those OKRs and say, hey, listen, is this tool holding me back from doing that? Is this other tool going to get me there? Naturally, that's that's when we try to change things. I'm pretty change adverse. I am very much of the mindset of like, we are the early majority. When you think of the book, Crossing the Chasm, I'm never going to be the person who's the first one who tries a tool. I'm going to wait for 500 or 5,000 people to do it first and get rid of all the bugs. Like Webflow, I'm just now starting to say like, okay, I'll listen, right? But it's been around for a while. Like I've been hating on it for the past two years, three years, because honestly, it sucks, right? For the big internet, it just is not perfect. So when you think about the tools, like, hey, is it going to help me reach my objectives? Is it going to help me reach my key results? And for many clients that we've worked with, Webflow will help them reach certain objectives, but it prevents them from doing things with their key results, which is like, hey, we've got to spend less than $500,000 a year on consultants to manage this, this big wieldy mess. So always look at your OKRs. But the second part of that, what I would always look at is like, is my team going to be able to use this tool? So going back to it, that's where like I'm not an innovator with most tools because like I'd rather use WordPress because I can hire a $50 an hour freelance developer on Upwork in no time at all to fix something, right? I can get, a, there are so many people that know WordPress that if I'm in a bind, I can get it done. But with Webflow, I'm paying $200 an hour, if not more in some cases for somebody who actually knows what they're doing. So you really have to start to understand like what is the opportunity for talent? And of course, you're in marketing operations, so you get this right? There's not enough marketing operations people to go around. So like, you've got to be very cognizant of, of, can my team even use this new amazing tool? Or can we even get this tool adopted? So those are kind of some of the first things that I would really try to look at before even considering buying a new tool, or you've got to take into consideration the cost of what's it going to cost to implement this? What's going to be the cost to actually get somebody to use this? Because, you know, Segment's a good partner of mine. Segment's an amazing customer data platform. We love them to death. We do a ton of work with them. But most people overbuy the product and then never use any of the features just because they get stuck in the hype. So 
we always try to like walk people back a little bit, right? Like, let's be a little less innovative. Okay. It's cool. I always want to be, I want to, my ego wants to feel good, but does your ego generate revenue? Eh, probably not. Right. So like, let's walk it back a little bit and, you know, I can pick on service tech a little bit. You guys do some really amazing things. But we've also been really innovative in some of the things we've done with Service Titan. We've been like, well, that's made it a lot harder. So like, let's not do that again. And that happens with every company, though. You've got to be able to focus on, is this tool going to achieve my objectives? Is my team effectively going to be able to use this? And then start to focus on, like, what is the cost? Because I mean, I can definitely tell you, I've worked on companies where we've implemented stuff and been paid a good six figures to implement something. And then it never got used because nobody ever fi- took the time to actually figure it out. They just paid us to set it up and then they were out a couple hundred thousand dollars. And that, that's never fun. Yeah. And I also think like a lot of people buy like multiple softwares where like one software could probably do the thing that they, they're looking for, but they buy like a bunch of things to try to piece them together and then it gets all crazy. And like you said, like things don't integrate and people just buy software to buy, fix a, a current problem, but they don't think long-term about like the impact of buying that software. So there's yeah, a, a, all these little, there's a lot of different nuances, but I want to, also go into your book that you wrote, like what what are some things that people can get out of that to, to book? Because I know there's not a lot of books about marketing automation. So what are some things that they could get out of that that if they picked it up and read it today? Yeah, no, definitely uh, good stuff. I mean, the, the book talks about how do you build the modern marketing tech stack, right? So what we used to build, I mean, 10 years ago or five years ago uh, has definitely changed, right? With the evolution of analytics, the evolutions of products like Zapier and CDPs and stuff like that. The book literally is a blueprint to creating the modern marketing tech stack. Stack. And one of the problems that I see a lot in our industry is that it's really easy to start getting really deep and really dense, right? Like taxonomy, what does that mean, right? Like that's really, really hard to understand. So, what I did was in the book is I talked about a real life case study of a company called Real Thread. They're a t shirt printing company, except for they do like big orders for Amazon and Dropbox and stuff like that. And they've got this interesting B2B and B2C model. And the book walks you through three objectives you're trying to accomplish, right? Ultimately, their big goal is to increase net new customers, right? And we talk about how did we go about thinking of the tools that they have? How is their stack broken? How do we now need to reintegrate that and then achieve a couple objectives to grow net new? One, which is lead scoring. Another one, which is personalization. And then the last one is being able to track online and offline conversions. So because they have people who convert online on their website, those people sometimes convert offline through phone calls. How do we connect all that together? So it really talks about how do you think about designing the stack? What are some really, really kind of like key stakeholder tools you would want to have in your stack to kind of move you into the more modern realm? Because when you think about products like Marketo and Salesforce, they're kind of the traditional stack now. The way that they integrate kind of sucks. The way that they kind of talk to other tools can be a little archaic. I mean, Marketo's API limits are just like, it drives me nuts. But there's a lot of different things that you can kind of work around and get away from those things. So but like as a cool thing, like one of the things I talked about was integration and usability and being able to do stuff. One of the cool things about the way that we try to design stacks, and I talk about this in the book, is how do we make it so that things can talk to each other? So I'd love to have a quick experiment. I don't know if you have your phone on you, but we'll do it with your listeners. If you want to get a free copy of my book, we have a completely integrated system that connects all these different tools together to make it so that you can text a number and then it will all it will automatically take care of everything to basically ship you a book as long as you go through the process. So if you pull out your cell phone, what you're going to do is you go to your text messages. You're going to enter in the number 415, right? 915. 
9011. And I'll say that number again, 415-915-9011. All you have to do is text the word MarTech, M-A-R-T-E-C-H, text the word MarTech, and it will walk you through an entire text bot, which requests your address, sends you to our website to confirm we have everything correct. And if you pay shipping, it will send you a free copy of the book. Now, that entire system is automated because of, I think, five different tools that have been connected together. Uh, Twilio, Autopilot, Zapier, ShipStation, and Salesforce all connected together with a common taxonomy, with a modern integration, the way that you would set this up. Any marketer could do this to make this successful outcome. Because one, the text bot is super rad, but the fact that you get a free copy of the book after the whole thing, I mean, that's even, even more cool. And in the book, we cover that kind of stuff. We don't cover that exact scenario, but how would you start to build the foundations of a stack that will accomplish that? And by connecting it to a real story with RealThread, we crushed it. And with their business, after setting up the stack, after getting all this stuff going, we increased their their online orders by 51% uh, in the next following year. That's a huge increase, right? 51% increase in orders, right? That's huge. So really, if you can get the stack set up to automate your business, take care of some of those operations, help your sales people, help your marketers, you can really create some awesome personalization and convert a lot more customers. I love that. And I, I I love that idea of the modern tech stack, because I think even me being in marketing automation, I've seen like the, like how like these companies overpay for like content records and all this stuff. And like, even thinking of like a data warehouse as a place to like store most of your things and be like the source of truth. Now, like there wasn't a talk like a while ago, but now like Salesforce and Marketo can't even handle that much data. So you need to have something on the side to do something like that. So it's super interesting. That blows me away, right? Yeah. Like Salesforce and Marketo, which are like some of the biggest behemoths that make the most profits of all the company cry about data size, right? And Google's like, we'll give you a terabyte. Just sign up for Google Drive at $9 a month. We'll give you as much data as you want. So just, it goes to show you the difference between the modern and traditional stack. What are some, I know you said some, but like, what are some like tech stacks that like things that you would think that are like replacing the the Marketos and Salesforce right now or are making moves to do that? Yeah, I would definitely say that like Salesforce has a little bit uh, like one, it's hard to replace Salesforce because they're just so big, so fast. So, but there are definitely other companies like HubSpot's coming after Salesforce full head away. Like the fact that Scott Brinker, the guy who made the, the MarTech landscape runs platform for HubSpot tells you something, right? And a lot of people don't know this about Salesforce is that Salesforce, one of the reasons why they are so successful, other than the fact that they were like internet CRM, right? Kill software was their ability to create the app exchange and integrate with other people in a very, very clean way. Once they were able to create that ecosystem, it made them a lot faster. So HubSpot's in the process of doing the same exact thing. How do they build this ecosystem to build this massive platform? And and HubSpot is definitely somebody who's knocking on Salesforce's door big time right now. Like they are coming at them full steam ahead. So HubSpot would be like the easy CRM to point at. Other companies like Active Campaign, they now have come out with their own CRM that are really going after them. Of course, you have companies like Zoho and Sugar, but I don't. I think they kind of missed the boat. They're a lower end of the market. Fresh Sales is another company like trying to come after them. They have a different way that they're trying to do all the setup. But you know, I'd have to say the biggest person that's knocking on Salesforce's door is probably going to be HubSpot. And on the flip side, same with Marketo. I mean, I think the biggest person coming after them right now is HubSpot. Like HubSpot is really eating up a lot of the uh, the internet. And HubSpot is now in the process of trying to acquire other companies to kind of 
fix some of the things that maybe Marketo is not, uh, or Marketo can do that they can't. But there's still always going to be certain feature sets that only the enterprise uses, and that's really, really hard to kind of beat in. I mean, when you think about Eloqua and Pardot and Salesforce Marketing Cloud and all of the different tools, it can be really hard to break into that space. I think companies like BlueShift, right, which is a, a very popular CDP, it sells mainly to B2C, so a little bit of a different. They're really starting to make a, a four-way into kind of managing more of the customer, managing more of that relationship. And you'll see a lot more of these customer data platforms that are leaning in. Now, for most CDPs, the ones that provide the customer record and the engagement, they're more focused on B2C. So they're not really trying to knock at the door yet so much of a Salesforce or a Marketo. But there's definitely other CDPs in the B2B space where I would say Segment is definitely trying to go attack them a little bit. But Segment's not a true CRM. Like You're not going to have a sales rep using it. Segment just is a data pipe that enables you to kind of move data around. But when you have Segment integrated in with what, SendGrid, and you got Segment integrated in, now a Twilio. I mean, who knows what the the next future is going to look like in regards to these tools. What we can say, though, is that what is going to be the winner, we don't know, right? But there's a tool for everybody, and MarTech is not really slowing down. I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, still a lot of tools out there, a lot of tools to uh, win. Um, I think the main players are going to stick around because they're just going to buy whoever uh, comes up next. But those are some of the main competitors that we see today. Yeah. And I want to get into the conversation about like pushing data to like for reporting aspects, because a lot of people think of it as like, okay, I'm going to use this platform to do something with it. But they don't think about like, now how am I going to report on all of this stuff that's flowing in there? So like, how do you think about the analytics side of like a, a tech stack? Yeah, there's really two sides. I mean, everybody's used to Google Analytics, right? So like naturally Google Analytics helps you a lot, but it's not identifiable, right? You don't actually know who the user is. You can't store uh, identity attributes or like demographic, firmographic, technographic, can't store that data in there. So when you think about like the analytics suites, I mean, of course, products like Mixpanel, Amplitude, even Kissmetrics, right? Kissmetrics isn't nearly as popular as it used to be. Those products enable you to shove a lot of data in them, but mainly web data or mobile data, and then be able to create visualizations on that. At the end of the day, there are dumb boxes that enable you to do visualizations, which is super, super helpful because you can learn a lot from it. But the problem that you then have is those tools don't exactly pull in data from a Salesforce, a Pardot, a Marketo. They do have some integrations that enable that. But when you're really trying to do all that mashing up of all this data from all these different places, you've got to be able to get the data out of that tool. You've also got to be able to store it somewhere. And then you have to be able to visualize on it. And that's going back to my comment earlier that it gets kind of rich, right? Like, I mean, people pay a lot of money to be able to have that done. And a lot of companies are using a product like Segment to track all their web and digital transactions and then dump that into a warehouse, whether that be Redshift or BigQuery or whatever, Snowflake. They try to get as much of that data into the warehouse as they can. They then will have some sort of integration, whether it be Segment to pull data out of uh, Salesforce, pull data out of Marketo, pull data out of Stripe, or they'll use a tool like Fivetran or Stitch Data or Funnel.io, which Funnel.io is one of my favorite products out there. It enables me to pull data from anywhere, really. Facebook, Twitter, Marketo, HubSpot, like all kinds of stuff. Pull that data out of those tools on a set interval, match whatever my taxonomy is, send it into the data warehouse, right? And I can build all these tables that, of course, have this data. And then if I have a common identifier between those those records, I can then do basically anything I want using a tool like Tableau, using a tool like Looker, 
And there's even products out there like glue.io, I think it's called, and uh, holistics.io that enable you to kind of mash all this stuff together. The problem is, and this is why I say it's rich, is in some of these situations, you've got to have a data engineer, you've got to have a data analyst, you've got to have a visualization person. Um, Some cases you don't, right? Like it just comes down to the data. But the more data that you can get in a warehouse and more sophisticated you can get with a BI person, a business intelligence person kind of working that data, you can come up with much more complex answers to problems. You can create much more uh, in-depth dashboards. And you also have access to much more accurate data. Because when you're using Google Analytics, Amplitude, or Mixpanel, at the end of the day, you don't have control of the data behind the visual nearly as much as you would if it's in your warehouse. So that's really what we see a lot of companies doing. Definitely SaaS is really big on that. Bigger companies are bigger on that. But if you're if you're a 10-person startup, right, and you're really trying to like dump a bunch of stuff into a warehouse, like you've got to be a really technical team. You've got to really know what you're doing. And the problem with a business intelligence tool is that it's not meant for data exploration. Um, yes, it can create graphs and it can do stuff, but if you want to use it for data exploration, you've got to have like a full-time BI person. You've got to have a BI team. That's where products like Amplitude or Mixpanel or Kissmetrics are a lot easier for a marketing team to start spinning up. It's easier for them to just try to import data into those products than actually being knowing SQL. I mean, I guess I, I hate to ask and put you on the spot. Do you know SQL? I don't know SQL. No, I am. I don't know SQL, but People on my team know SQL, so right? it, helps, it helps. But it's crazy because like that's a shied me away from a lot of marketing automation jobs because of that my inability to know SQL. If I'm being honest to everybody right now, but that's a shied me away from a lot of jobs because that one SQL aspect because you have to know SQL for a lot of these tools. So yeah, for sure. I mean, Salesforce Marketing Cloud is practically pointless if you don't know SQL. Exactly. So. It really, really helps. Like, and, and I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm at the end of my career, but I mean, I'm 30, what? I don't even, I'm 36 right now, I think. I've been doing this for 20 years at this point. And I, this isn't going to be the time that I start picking up SQL, right? I'm the CEO. I have uh, multiple people who can help me with that. But it's definitely something if you're starting in your career right now, I would learn SQL without a doubt, right? It's going to be so much more common in the next five, 10 years to know SQL. It's going to be really, really good for your uh, paycheck, to say the least. Yep. And I agree with that too, because I wish I knew it coming out of college and in my first two years, because that would have helped me so much with every tech stack problem and data, using data for to pull data, push data, visualize data, all that good stuff. But I want to leave this last couple of minutes to, for you to say anything you want to the audience. I know you have your cool book and they get a text that number. If you want to repeat that number again, that'd be cool. Or any way they could find you online or anything like that. Yeah. And thanks so much, man. I mean, if you're interested in getting the, the book, of course, I mentioned number earlier, 415-915-9011. Just text the word MarTech to it. It will take care of the rest. If you don't want to text the number, just go to the website, magal.io. It's in the browser at the top. You can get a, you can get the copy through there. I also recommend if you're trying to solve those marketing attribution problems, uh, you want to get into that stuff, go check out a product called utm.io. It is going to be really, really helpful to get your team using better UTM campaigns, getting your management set up. If you're on a big team, like Shopify is a a customer that has like 100 marketers on utm.io, 
really makes it so that they get cleaner analytics at the end of the day. And if you're interested in chatting and you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just go to LinkedIn. I'm Dan McGaw on there. So super easy to find. So always hiring as well. So if anybody listening to this is is looking to jump into consulting, jump into services and learn a lot, definitely check me out on LinkedIn. Hit me up. Would love to chat uh, and always happy to help with any of the MarTech problems you have as well. So thanks so much for having me. And this has been great. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for this. I can't wait for this. And I need to get your book. I'm actually going to text the number now to get that book to see what you have. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Thanks so much. 